1: My friend Brian Preston was so early to podcasting, his wife had to tell his friends not to make fun of him. Brian and his co-host, Bo Hansen, they're hosts of The Money Guy Show. It's an award-winning podcast. Well, it's gone so well that it's become one of the largest financial podcasts along with their YouTube page in America. Today, Brian discusses his top three steps for wealth creation in America, and then three reasons why you would ever actually hire a fee-only financial advisor. Plus, Brian shares the biggest blocks for most Americans to creating wealth that he wants to help you avoid. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money, and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. Brian and I really are in a very similar business. We're both... In outside of podcasting and outside of the media world, you run a firm that is a fee-only fiduciary, which is exactly what I do here in yeah. Atlanta. So we're our headquarters in Atlanta, and we've got offices in a couple other states, in Denver and Tampa, uh, and Den- uh, Colorado and Florida and Arizona. And you guys are based in Nashville. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't get a chance really to interview folks that are so congruent to what, what, what I do for a living. You do for a living to some extent, and then we met at FinCon, which yeah. is the financial blogger, financial writer conference. And I can't. Rem- I think it was. I'm going. I'm going to speculate that it was New Orleans, or Charlotte, yeah. or San Diego. Yeah, we
0: met at all those. So that's what that's what I'm trying to remember. The one we probably, or was it? Yes, I can't remember which one. They all run together because I've been to like five or six of them. But it was really great because not many financial advisors appreciate the value of. Paying it forward through education. I think they think that, hey, if I if I give it away, I'm undercutting my professional services. I actually have found it's the exact opposite. If you can show people you actually practice what you preach, you know what you talk about, they want to sign up with you and uh, move the process forward. And that's kind of the secret to your success, secret to our success. And um, and I love how the digital world is is just open for everybody now because that that is something that has changed as podcasting has opened things up. YouTube has opened things up. Uh, it, it really creates a lot of opportunity for the public to go kind of see how passionate people are about the knowledge that, that, that they're also, you're hiring them for.
1: Well, so... If we go back to the beginning, so let's go back, I, I guess, almost 15 years. Really, it's been 15 years since you started. Where, yeah. Did you tell me the history of you getting into, A, the business, but then the finan- the media side, the podcasting? I mean, you yeah. did this when podcasting was – nobody, people hadn't even heard of podcasting. That's how long ago it was. So, so
0: several things influence this. First of all, um, I come from a public accounting background, so UGA grad. Um, my, one of my classmates at UGA was actually, at the time, Clark Howard's CPA, and he invited me to come watch Clark do a show in studio. This is 2005, and so I came and did that um, with my buddy. And then it was the same time I got my first iPod. As you can see, we, we, after it died, it eventually died, we put it in glass so that it would be, you know, it didn't feel right to throw it away. But I got that and I knew this was going to change the world because I'd always been an audiobook person. I'd always been a talk radio person. And I was like, when, when I got my first iPod, I was like, this is going to revolutionize the world. And I always wanted to be a school teacher. I actually was a substitute teacher all through college. My mom was a teacher, my grandmother was a teacher. My path just never went that way. And I recognized very quickly this was my chance to kind of bring it all together.
1: So is, is that what that is behind you for our listeners who can't see? Do you have an enshrined iPod back there? I can't. That's
0: exactly that is my iPod. That's um, and I you know, and what I do is because I'm, you can't find you know, I go buy magazines historically and then put them in there so people can kind of date when when these things were popular.
1: The the so for our listeners who can't see or not seeing the video, there's an actual, what was this, circa 2000 and what probably 2010 ipod maybe yeah i mean if we could get that
0: power to that thing we'd
1: have all my old queen you know metallica (laughs) we'd be able to pull up all the um, music
0: that i used to listen to back in the day too
1: well i think that maybe since i i I, again the theme here is that our mission is to help a million people retire a year sooner and that number sounds crazy but a million people a year sooner is a million years that sounds like a lot that's a lot of years and really We're in the middle, really early innings of 30, 40 million people retiring over the next next decade or so. So one out of those 30 or one out of 35 doesn't seem that big of a lift. And even to help somebody accelerate one year closer, and I know that this is kind of dear to your heart because you're an educator and Mm -hmm. you've helped a lot of people figure out what their retirement might mean maybe it's a little sooner Uh, but i think that let's ask since we're both in the industry of financial planning and financial advice and and investments what are what's maybe a big misconception that you still see that has been perpetuated maybe has changed about the industry itself well There's several
0: things. I first think that we we are in this awesome time where technology and information flows so freely, but it also feels like everybody's, they're they're speculating, they're they're buying their lottery tickets, you know, between the meme stocks, the cryptocurrencies. So there's all these distractions. So we're we're blessed with abundance of opportunity, but the message is getting lost by, you know, your cousin who somehow put a thousand dollars supposedly in Dogecoin, Dogecoin. and now it's worth, you know, and it's worth, you know, $2 million. I I, I find there's so many distractions. So that's causing problems. And then I think we're also in this weird time where active management and wholesalers are having trouble with index investing. So I always try to tell our listeners, if that's where you're getting focused on what a financial planner does, you're losing the message because that's not what we actually, people like you you and I who are technicians we're helping you figure out re- the retirement, the education, the estate plan, how to optimize the tax efficiency. And then the investment stuff has become more commoditized, but we help you still maximize that by, by taking advantage of the low cost of index funds and other things. So, but you don't have to get lost in the fact that I need an advisor, I don't need an advisor, because I always say it's going to become abundantly clear that you are so outside of your comfort zone, once you have a level of success, you'll know that you need a co-pilot. And that's where- Yeah, no, I think
1: that's a really good point. I don't know if I've ever thought of it that way, but it's almost as though you'll, you'll know when you need somebody. Is that kind of where, when you're starting to say, wait a minute, there's so many different pieces of the equation. I've got taxes over here. I've got estate planning over here. I want asset protection over here. I should be in alternative investments over here. And what about my good old fashioned 401k? How should I manage that? Because, hey, that's a lot too. It's to some extent, what you're saying is that you'll know it. You'll know when you need help when the time comes.
0: Yeah, it has nothing to do with your aptitude for finance either. I have brilliant, brilliant clients who are doing great things, but they just they don't know what they don't know. They know like tax locations. Do you have your money Roth, tax deferred, after tax? If you if you know you're retiring before seventy-two, when do you start doing the Roth conversions? All these things. So whenever I get cause you have trolls too. I'm sure you have people that, that pick on you for what for what they you do, because they think you're an insurance salesman, not realizing you're a true consultant. Because that's what the that's the baggage us financial advisors carry around. And I just chuckle when, when we have the trolls show up because I'm like, if you think all we do is compete with index funds, you've lost your mind. You just you just you haven't reached the level of success yet where you can appreciate what's going to happen, but it'll happen because that's what I'll, complexity finds you. Keep your life as simple as you can, and then complexity will come to you as success reaches your doors.
1: You had mentioned a word wholesaler, which I think our, maybe you need to explain what you're talking about to our audience. Like what's a wholesaler number one? Number two, what is a fee-only advisor relative to someone who's not fee-only? I think for our audience, you got to unpack that a little bit for us. What is, the, what is yeah. what are the, What's all that... What's all that mean?
0: And, and I, because I do come from a, a kind of a, a, even though I'm a public, come from public accounting, I did work in the registered rep space for a while. So I know what it's like to be a commissioned advisor. And that's why I also have some, some grace for, for, for the, for the, the men and women that are out there having to, to hunt and kill to try to sell products, because I know how hard that process is. Um, but that's the difference. A commission advisor only gets paid by the products they sell to you. They also are under a different standard of service, meaning that their financial planning might be incidental to the products they're selling you, whereas we're fiduciary advisors, meaning that we're legally required to put our client's interest ahead of our own. And fee only means the only way I get paid is not through the products I'm selling or advising um. I'm actually getting payment directly by the client. And I, and I like that because it puts you on the same side of the table with the client. Their accounts go up. We make more money. Accounts go down. Their fee gets cheaper. And it also allows us, they don't have to ever worry. Did he recommend this investment because he gets paid more or less? Those things are all kind of taken out the window. Um, the only conflict of interest we have is when you're trying to figure out um, should you prepay your mortgage earlier? Should you, you know, what will lower the fee? And we we talk about that stuff openly with our clients constantly. So there's good communication that, that outlines even our conflicts of interest.
1: Okay. So now that you explained the difference between a fee-only advisor, typically the fee-only advisor is a percentage so that the accounts go up. Yeah. And, and we've all seen those commercials have, I think it's been Fisher. or There's a couple other yeah, companies have kind of maybe made that the way that relationship works maybe a little bit more uh a little bit more prominent but here's a question that i get a lot and i've had to i have to explain this a lot and i don't always have an amazing answer for this there's, there's always a certain percentage of people that say this, and it's so logical. So I always feel bad when I get this question is, hey, Wes, I hear your fee only. I'd love to come just pay you a couple hundred bucks and you can and just tell me what to invest in, send me on my way and I'll come back in a year or two. And I get that, I probably get that question once a week. And the reality here is that it's just so hard, that is not a business model I've ever known to be able to work. So I have yeah. an answer for that question. Do you, what do you say when So I know people ask you that.
0: Yeah, we, we get asked that all the time. Uh, and what we, th- my thought is, is that that plan immediately loses value within two to three months. Because think of all the things I just talked about that were huge, dramatic di- distractions between the, the meme stocks, you know, the, the cryptocurrencies. You, you go to a party and your uncle or your cousin tells you something. I, I'm just telling you the world is too dynamic and changing ever so fast that you. I want you to always have the ability to talk to us and then have the plan evolve with you because I think most people, if you give them the exercise of, I want you to write down what you were doing and what your top three goals were five years ago. Now let's fast forward. What are your goals today? You are a completely different person and your financial life is going to need to evolve through every one of those things. And the other question we always get is, subscription models too. Can't you do monthly and other things like that? And that's something where I'm just very transparent with people. I say, look, a typical advisor, what's our biggest limitation? I can create content and distribute that a million times over, and I can be as generous with my time with that as possible. But if you actually want a relationship with somebody here at the firm, we are limited by the time we have the hours in the day and how many client relationships. and we believe in that Dunbar principle of that you really don't want to have more than 150 clients per advisor. So we, we have on purpose restricted who we work with so that you always get that, that awesome customer experience, service, and you always know the plan's dynamic enough that whatever happens in your life, we're going to be right there with you.
1: What do you think the catalysts are of what are the top three things people actually do? And they, they yeah. knock on your door and they're like, hey man, I'm ready. What what, do, yeah. what, they, what are the top three reasons for it? Well, first of
0: all, number one is your assets have gotten big enough that one day you wake up and realize you are the CEO for like a seven-figure corporation, if you think about that. And mm. if, you, if you had to think about the cost you're paying for an advisor versus what the mistake of doing things wrong would cost you, you will very quickly realize being a good executive of this seven-figure business that you're running with your financial life. You, need, you don't know what you don't know and you don't know what you're leaving on the table. So you need somebody for that. There's also another group of people so successful and brilliant, but they just don't have enough time in the day that they realize that they need to outsource. So they, even though they have the knowledge, just so implementation actually happens because knowing something is not the same as implementing something. So that's the second. And then the third are the legacy people. We have people all the time that they are great, have been awesome at doing it, doing it, the do-it-yourself style, but they can't think about what it looks like if they left the picture, meaning they passed away, became incapacitated. They want to know that they have somebody who has the same mindset, same worldview towards money, is there to help their loved ones and ensure that their legacy is kind of pushed forward. So those are those are kind of the things that, that we have seen with, with our clients is they're either don't have the time they want to ensure their legacy or the plan continues to work beyond them, or they've reached the point of realizing they are more worried about making a mistake that they'd love to have a co-pilot help them um, keeping, keep things above board.
1: When the stakes get higher, there's even more emotion attached to it. And exactly. usually when the stakes are higher, you're busier than ever. So you're, mm-hmm. you're you've saved seven figures. Now you're even busier at work, you have more response over here. Maybe you family's even busier, so it kind of all continues to mount upon itself, and then you start to you look around and you say, "Wow, you know, it'd be nice from a peace of mind perspective, from a time outsourcing perspective, and a just a comfort perspective." I need somebody like a Brian. Brian, by the way, it runs Bound Wealth in Franklin, Tennessee, or a firm like our firm in in Atlanta, Capital Investor Advisors, yep. where. And that's the other thing. It's, you know, maybe our listeners are like, wow, these are two investment firms talking to each other that we do a sim- something similar is that I've never even really thought of our industry as competitive, right? It's no. almost like there's there's no. there's so many, there's thousands of financial advisors out there and firms, and then you've got the big firms like Merrill Lynch and Morgan Stanley that, that just alone has 15, they all have 10, 15, 20,000 advisors. So even though there's so many advisors out there, There's so many people that need help, and our industry is relatively small. And I I noticed that after the financial crisis where a lot of people left our industry, so kind of you wake up in 2010 after a couple of rough years, there's less advisors and more people that need help. And it's almost – it's an interesting dynamic where we are now in our industry, and now you have 30-plus million people retiring over the next few years. so.
0: Well, you, you've, you you just hit on something that I talk about all the time. If you go to the Bureau of Labor Statistics and talk about how many people are classified as personal financial advisors, that number is you know right around the 300,000 mark. And then if you go cross-reference that to how many people are a member of NAPFA or any of the fee-only, because that's the biggest fee-only organization, we are the unicorns. I mean, we are the ones that were less than 2%, because I think we're around 4,000 members. You will get a very quick understanding that 98% of people who are doing financial, what they call financial advising are actually selling products. And we've also seen that I've got a lot of advisors who work at the firm who have come from either insurance backgrounds or other things where they just got fed up one day. They had their, you know, and look, this is going to date me, but I call it the Jerry Maguire moment where they just can't do it anymore. And they realize they want to be on the right side of helping clients make good decisions and they, that's where they end up saying, I've got to get out of the cells and get into the actual consulting and helping people.
1: So for our listeners, I wanted to kind of, I, I would say that, let me put what Brian just said in perspective, because again, I, I'm learning so much as I'm talking to you here, <laughs> is that we have this industry that there's 300,000 folks or so that are technically financial advisors, but let's call it less than 5% of that group, which starts to become a pretty small number. That, yeah. are, that are fee only, meaning that they don't get any sort of commission by any sort of product. And that's what your fir- your firm is a non-commission oriented. You still charge, you still charge a fee, it's a percentage yeah. fee, but yeah. it's, cl- it's clean as in mm-hmm. there's no conflict to use X product or fund or sell you something to get paid. In fact, it works almost in reverse. It's let's find the, the least expensive products. It actually, works in reverse yeah. for what what Brian does and what fee only advisors do, and I'm I'm one of the, our firm is one of them, is that you actually are looking in, in in search of the best investment choices that have the least cost typically, because mm-hmm. we're kind of looking out. We want to make sure that your assets grow the very fastest and most efficiently. So it it really is a good model, I think, for the consumer. Yeah. And that's only really become I don't know. It sounds like it's still not even overly ubiquitous yet. I, these numbers are very interesting to me. So,
0: no, and your neighbors um, will love when you live near a fee only because I think most people find out to work in the financial field, and they immediately are like put their hand on the back pocket. Whereas my neighbors are amazed that oh you don't you don't actually ever try to sell us on anything. I'm like yeah because we we don't have to. I mean there's so few of us that I feel like people are rushing through the gates trying to find you know non-obligated or non-conflicted advisors. And that and that's why we're in the growth part of the
1: industry. Answer me this to you. You would think there was a time when it looked like all the big firms were going to have to go in mm-hmm. some sort of fiduciary <laughs> model. And then th- that got backed up. And then essentially, I think what happened is a lot of the big firms have it so that only IRA accounts need to be that way, but not brokerage mm-hmm. accounts. I can't even remember how that all shook out. Do you, do you remember what happened in the, in the, in the well, industry, think, the other 300,000 folks?
0: Well, this is the other – I mean, our industry – well, I'll, I'll speak but when I say our because that's, that's not exactly what, what we're talking about. There is no doubt there is money and there's influence in, in government. And I think a lot of people panicked. I mean, you and I both, I know who some of the custodians you work with, we work with them too, and they'd give us the inside Fidelity. track. Yeah, that, yeah and, and Fidelity, we work with Fidelity, we work with Charles Schwab. They are all were panicking um, because they were going to have to change how they did everything with business. And 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 what we ended up coming, understanding, I was nervous about it is because they have backed away from it, but I was nervous about this legislation in some ways because if you're mandated to behave this way, you didn't act that way because your heart was that way. It was you were I mandated that way because you're worried that your favorite uncle over here was giving you the, you know, the law that you couldn't go past or you get in trouble. And when people are mandated, they try to figure out workarounds, and, and it's not always in the client's best interest. Whereas my heart actually wants the best thing for the clients to be accomplished, and I think that that actually I, I was excited that the fiduciary standard was being pushed just because I felt like it was creating conversations. But Mm -hmm. I was nervous about what the actual end result would look like, because if all of us were supposedly painted in this standard way, you couldn't tell who actually believed it. It's the same way, because here's something I I make joke about. If we we mandated, when people say they want to have education, financial education in high schools, I'm saying, be careful what you ask for, because it would probably be run by the credit card industry because that's who would put up the money that's who would influence the decision so you'd have very you would have financial education that probably would not tell you the, the true perils of your financial decision making and i felt like that was so kind of right. going on
1: you're so right come, by that
0: the people that make the money are also the people that that have a lot of influence on the legislation so they don't it kind of muddies the water on where the true black and white decision is. And I hate to be, that's why I don't like to talk about, I never talk about politics on our show is because, you know, is because it's so hard with how things get muddied when, when you get, you know, lobbying legislation and everything brought into the picture.
1: It's so funny. That's a, such a great point. If we started having financial education in high schools, it's, it's what, who would come to guard the hen house? It would probably be the Fox, Ooh, yeah. kids, here's what we sponsored by. <laughs> sponsored by Capital One. What's in your wallet, kids? You need a credit card day one. You're, it's so funny. Yeah. That's such a good point. Now, let me ask you this. You guys have been doing The Money Guy Show for many years. And I know you get tons of questions. I've watched tons of your videos over the years. What are you getting questions about right now?
0: Look, uh, there there's several things that when I create content, I love my technicians that will get us the, the deep stuff like because that's where tax, you know, all the fire people who want to retire early, the, the change in required minimum distribution, safe withdrawal rates, all that stuff is super exciting. But I'll be honest with you, that stuff stimulates me. But if you want to get the best, you know, where people get really excited is when we get into the motivation of decision making and the more of the behavioral. So we kind of get a mix because I think people know we're really nerdy. And we really are passionate about this. So we'll get a mix of the technical questions, but we also get a lot of requests on content for the behavioral side of it. So we're, we're always challenging ourselves to balance those two things. But if I was kind of, you know, there's still a lot of discussion about should you retire early is, you know, what's a good safe withdrawal rate, you know, what's going to happen with tax rates going potentially going up both on the corporate as well as individual side. Does it change behavior? If we change inheritance taxes, And capital gains versus ordinary income, Um, that stuff is, you know, we're getting a lot of questions about that right now.
1: What Brian's talking about here is that maybe the line that I'll typically use as investing is actually very simple, but it's not Mm -hmm. easy. So it's simple, it's not easy. What does that mean? It means that emotionally uh, the, the fear and the greed pendulum get in the way all the time, over and over. Even if you say you're not going to be subject to it, you may be subject to it. And I know you guys love that topic. So let's dive into that. Like, what do you tell people about the behavioral psychology around investing? Because I'm, I'm fascinated to hear it from your perspective.
0: Well, I mean, we talk about on the show is that I consider wealth creation is three simple ingredients. It really is the discipline to live on less than you make. That's deferred gratification. That's what, if you want to teach people anything in high school, it's deferred gratification. If you wanna be wealthy, you have to create margin, financial margin in your life. So you actually have the second component, which is money. You gotta have money so that you can quit working, turn your earned income into investment income as fast as possible. So you're turning that excess margin on living on less than you make into investment margin. You take that margin, invest it, build your army of dollar bills that we talk about constantly. And then that leads to the third component, if you can give it time, I mean, this is the thing. I think humans think, we think linear. You know, you think of, you know, two plus two equals four. We never think about what two becomes once you put exponents on it. And that's what I've actually seen with wealth creation with time. If you get a 20-year-old, if you get a 25-year-old or 30-year-old saving, they don't touch that money until they're, they're you know, past 60. It's going to be a ton of money and 92% of the growth will likely you know, come from the growth, not their contribution. That's what I think people get sometimes so shocked by is that if you start early enough, it's not going to be your contributions that is the biggest part of the account. It's actually going to be the growth of the accounts. So you just have to give it enough time to, to be successful.
1: So deferred gratification, so it means you essentially have to have some margin on your money. So $100 mm-hmm. every, for every hundred, you can save 20 of it. Yeah. Then you've got to invest it. So it's actually got to go into something that works for you. This is your army of dollar bills. Yeah. And then it's time. So it's time. And I guess we're always being tested. Here we are in 2021. And depending on what week we're, we're looking at, at any given week, there could be a new meme stock, right? It's, it was GameStop. Yeah. It was yeah. BlackBerry. And then it was AMC. And then it went away for a while. Now it's, game, then it's back to AMC. All we hear are stories about this instant wealth. And it is emotionally difficult to totally dissociate yourself. Well, wait a minute. You hear it once, no big deal. But if you're inundated with these these massively quick wealth creation stories over and over and over and over again, you're gonna say to yourself, Wait, wait, wait a minute. What am I missing? Something like, Why did I do that? Like that kid put. 500 bucks into dogecoin it's worth a million like why didn't why didn't brian you do that for me wes why didn't you buy me some dogecoin right yeah it's all one-off stuff
0: though i mean it's the same thing i mean why weren't you on that slot machine or why didn't you buy the lottery ticket from that 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 one place in cleveland tennessee i mean in cleveland georgia that had the the winning lotto ticket i mean we all have those things and hindsight's always 2020 but this is and this is why i think it fails for the majority of people is that we did st- we did it's a very simple if you're nerdy enough to play with financial calculators like we do after you invest for 5 years if you if you just looked at took a, a you know did an 8% compounded rate of return you know and that's that's very reasonable you'd find that your your total account value after 5 years only like 20 something percent would be the growth part of it the majority would be what you put in you fast forward to 10 years you look at the total account value a little over half is going to be the growth of the portfolio. The other half is going to be what you put in. That seems okay, but that's not something that's going to get you so motivated to being super successful. That's why nothing in our consumer society motivates you to put away five years, 10 years. And that's not where the secret stuff happens. The secret stuff happens when that critical mass at year 20, at year 25, at year 30. And that's what nobody wants to hear that because, that's not going to make you a millionaire, a multimillionaire at 26. But what I always try to tell people is the reality. It's the same thing when I used to go talk at high schools because this is what got me, you know, into a lot of things. Is I went into high schools trying to educate about personal finance, and I'd ask the class in South because I'm from South Atlanta originally, and I'd ask the class, I'd say, "How are you guys going to make your money?" And, and half the class wanted to be entertainers, professional athletes, and all this stuff. And I bet. Like, Let me go ahead and tell you the truth, because I worked a little, you know, before I went out on my own, I worked with professional athletes with the firm I was at in Atlanta. And I'd say, let's go fill up any one of the Atlanta stadiums. You know, you could do the dome, you could do, they're going to put one big trash can with everybody's name in the stadium and pull out one name. That is going to be who made it as a professional athlete or the entertainer. Whereas I'm telling you, if you go become the CPA, if you go become the attorney, of those entertainers, of that, that's, that's your truest path. And it's the same way with investing is if you will go this journey that I'm talking about where you just buy index funds, dollar cost average, no matter what's going on. I can assure you, if you follow these three simple steps, you'll come to me in 20 years and be like, holy cow, it works. Because the stats are, if you look at Dr. Thomas Stanley's and, and some of the, the Ramsey solution research, the typical millionaire happens in either your late 40s, or early 50s, kind of in that window. And if you do the math on that, these are people who've been investing for 25 years. I mean, it's yeah. not magical. It's just that you are patient. And everybody always thinks, I want to get rich quick. And the easiest way, and you see the meme all the time on, on Twitter, is to do it slowly. It's just nobody ever sees the ups and downs. They just see the the pot of gold after somebody's actually done it. And that, that's that's not what we're... We're trying to give the true essence when we do content.
1: So the investment style that you subscribe to, to some extent, is it's index funds, let's say, because it's low cost. But it is, is it just U.S.? Is it all over the world? Is it small and large? Or is it every different asset class you should or could invest in? I mean, what's kind of a general philosophy from an investment standpoint for you guys?
0: Well, I think the world's gotten so easy. And, and look, you can, I'd love to hear your take on this too, Wes, is because you know we're swimming in the same waters. I think for young people, especially, between Vanguard, Fidelity Investments, Charles Schwab, you can go buy an index target retirement fund that's internal expenses are going to be dirt cheap. And all you have to answer is two questions. How much can I save and when do I need it? They'll do everything else for you, and that you're not undercutting me because you'll, like I said, you will wake up one day and the world will be so complicated because of your success that you'll come to us, and that's when we can take your your ta- indexed target retirement fund and help you actually turn that into a more complex, more sophisticated something that reflects you know the CEO status that you've now grown into. But don't do that when you have fifty thousand dollars because I think that's the problem. And that's what I hate about the the meme stocks and everything else is they have everybody instead of focusing on the behavior and the habit of saving. It has them trying to become, you know, the next Warren Buffett, which is ridiculous. And by the way, speaking of Warren Buffett, he didn't even really hit his stride until post 50. The reason he's so wealthy is because he's old. I mean, you know, Warren would even tell you he's, he's really old <laughs> So you know, if you reach billionaire status in your fifties, it's going to be worth a lot of money. But it took a long time to reach that status.
1: Yeah, it re- then then you get hundreds of billions, right? And it's yeah, so funny. Exactly. It's, so, it's so it is so hard for younger investors to even visualize the, the, those kind of numbers. And I get one one of the other things I was going to ask you is that I talk about how the checkpoint for the early retiree. It's a formula of, let's say, at least five core things, but the financial part of that is getting to 500,000. That's a a big piece of the equation. No mortgage. It's exactly our number two. Right, because then it's 2,000 bucks a month, or give or take, for to some extent, forever. And that usually can be enough to supplement. Social Security, maybe you have a pension, if you don't have a mortgage, and all of a sudden, hey, it's not overly complicated, but for most people, don't even ever get there. And it's for, yeah. for the, those who do, it is a life's work to get there. We throw it out of the go, oh, just at least get to 500,000, at least get to half yeah. a million. It, it's a life's work for a lot of folks. So you're also in that camp where you don't need minimum 5 million. Now I have plenty of clients that have 5 million and or mm-hmm. and have. I have a lot of clients that their goal is to get to 5 million from an asset yep. perspective, no question about it. And then I have retirees that have retired on five or six or $700,000 and that's, they're continuing yeah. to maintain that for hopefully the next 25 years. So you guys are at the five you're kind of at the 500 level on on your thought on being having enough to be able to stop working.
0: Well, here's well, 500,000 is where I think you you need probably uh, to take it to take the relationship to the next level on a professional advisor. Um, because at oh, okay. point, you get to into the tax of okay. tax efficiency, because think about this. I mean, it's hard to do charitable planning with a index target retirement fund. It's hard to loss harvest. It's hard to to load your your tax deferred or your 401k up with the, you know, the, the fixed income while you're putting, you know, your growth assets in the Roth. You can't do that stuff as efficiently. But here's the here's the problem we struggle with. We are solid on that half a million dollars being where. I think a good advisor can start adding value, but our minimum is actually closer to, to seven to 800,000. So we've had a lot of trouble explaining to our, our clients, our listeners, we believe in this so much, but we've had, unfortunately our minimums had to go a little higher in this because we care so much about the service that even though this is our advice, we, you know, and, and there's a little disconnect there and we know that and we're trying to hire as fast as we can to fix it, just like I'm sure you guys are too. But I, I just can't help that this is the information. We're always going to share what we think is right. And if it doesn't hit us, you just have to give us grace that, you know, at least being transparent with you on what, what our thoughts are.
1: Yeah, it's so many industries that are that are difficult to hire around. And I know that that it wasn't long ago that Barron's had a uh, – their cover story was, I think it was the shortage of everything or the everything shortage, right? So yeah. from from chicken to – Pickles at Burger King to just finding people in multiple industries. Like, where do we find people? Yeah. It's not just the restaurant industry. It's, our, it's your industry, right? It's financial yeah. advice. Hard to find good people to add to our teams to then bring on a new client base. Because to your point, one advisor can't have 500 clients. Right? You, don't have a, you yeah. can't have a relationship with... 500 separate people understand, remember their families, remember their goals. So to some extent, that's a it's a really important point. I think what Brian's talking about here is that particularly fee-only at firms like uh, his firm, Abound Wealth, and our firm here in Atlanta Capital Investment Advisors, we have to continue to expand our advisor base so that we can keep adding clients and make sure that they have someone that they can talk to and have a team that's responsive to them. Let's go back to you've been an industry leader on being able to use podcasts and using video and using audio. What, what do you think's next for you guys?
0: It's so interesting. So <laughs> podcasting now I look back is, it just means we're nerdy. I mean, cause I started doing this in 2006. It was so bad that my wife had to go around to my buddies at, you know, and say, Hey, don't pick on him. Cause he's really passionate. Cause it is. That's a, that's a completely nerdy thing in 2006. You don't do that if you're, if you're a normal person. Um, doing things. So so that one, I think, is nerdy. What I wish I'd had acted on, though, is I spoke at NAPFA National, I think it was 2010, and I was talking about YouTube was the next frontier. Well, I didn't take my own advice until we really got serious in 2017 with YouTube. And that has been, Wes, I got to tell you, it's been phenomenal, because like um, our podcast does about 300,000 downloads a month but youtube it does 1.4 million views a month so it's actually i've experienced the rocket ship growth of podcasting and now i've experienced the rocket ship growth of youtube youtube is even better than podcasting and maybe i should be more secretive of that but i don't mind sharing it with a friend because what i what i think is really powerful about google and youtube and the algorithm is that you know itunes and to, for that matter, podcasting, it was hard to grow your tribe because they didn't it didn't go expand who your content was going out to. So you, you had to, Yeah, you could go download on iTunes and it might show you five podcasts down below. If you like this, you might like that. The algorithm with YouTube goes, you know, it's, it's actually out there pushing your content upon people. And that is a, if you are a passionate person about education like we are. It's been incredible. So that's, that's something that I feel like YouTube is a tremendous opportunity. Also, we've been thinking, because I think that, you know, that barrier of 500,000, most people don't reach that. So we've tried to figure out, yes, you could go watch our 15 years worth of content, but that might be hard to go figure out exactly what to do with your next dollar. So we've actually, we've got several things. We've written a, a course called The Financial Order of Operations which tells everybody what to do, nine steps, what to do with your next dollar. Um, You can go download it for free, the the overview of it, moneyguy.com slash resources. We just give away tons of stuff there, but for people who want to go a little deeper, We've done, you know, we've got the coursework. I have been writing a book. I mean, I'm probably getting out of head. I shouldn't be sharing that on your show. I should be sharing
1: that on mine. No, it's um, a preview. But, you're building your pre-sale or You're building your pre-orders, Brian.
0: But, but No, we haven't. That's how I have a lot to learn from folks like you, Wes, is because that's, what you know, like Dave Grohl. I'm a big Foo Fighters fan. i have oh, wow, pre-signed guy, yeah. up for a, Dave Grohl has a book coming out. I don't think it comes out for like a year, but he's already pre-selling and I asked, I asked Reby, our producer, I was like, maybe he knows something we don't. Maybe we should have a much longer pre-sale window um, than, than the month or two that I'm thinking in my head. So you, you probably could share a lot of knowledge on that too. But I, I really woke up when I saw Dave Grohl is pre-selling his book for over a year. I thought that was kind of a unique take.
1: Well, it is. And I think that's how you get these bestseller lists is that you have your first week and you? how can you sell 50,000 copies in your first week? Well, it's because you've been pre-selling it for a year. That's how it happens. <laughs> come on, Brian. We, so just keep going. Do you have a title yet for your book? Oh, we've got some. I don't
0: want to say it out loud because we've been throwing okay. around domain. Because, you, well, you know, domain addresses, goodness gracious, that's like the wild, wild west now. So if you, even if you come up with a creative idea, you have to go. Some Somebody has probably bought it, and you have to go figure out how you um, – Convince them to sell it to you without realizing that you have um, the ability to pay.
1: You're, you're exactly right. It's not <laughs> easy to buy any sort of domain name that's any good unless somebody's gonna try to get 50 grand for it. So I know I know, believe me I'm, I'm with you. Uh, yeah. Again, you've been in this industry for two decades plus. And I get some pretty crazy, so Money Matters for me is the, is the radio show that I do that's live and I get, call, I get calls and questions that are you know, pretty much just totally open season. It can be some pretty crazy things or a lot of just pretty straightforward. The podcast world, the, only, the main difference, obviously, it's not you know, live calls, what, but you guys also get tons of emails and submit questions. What are some of the crazier questions that you've gotten over the years? Well, I'm amazed. I mean, because what's funny,
0: and I'm sure you've, we might have the same people. We've actually made audience friends, like where they've come and toured the studio. And I get yeah. spreadsheets of content, you know, of, of, hey, Brian, have you considered this? Here's a spreadsheet I put together. You guys ought to consider it or I figured out the break even. And these our audience is so smart. I mean, I'm telling you, Wes, brilliant people watch this type of content. And I love that um, we have an audience that is so impassioned that they that they want to get in get in on this too, and and they're so sharing of giving the information to us. So that that inspires a lot of content for us. And I actually encourage these these type of relationships we have with our audience. Um, I'm trying to think of oddball stuff that. Oh, oh here's something. Okay, uh, here's here's a good one. I talk about all the time credit cards. You have to be careful and treat it like I used to say knife. But then I went through this, uh, and I still do it, but I have to be careful with it now. I say, don't treat credit cards like a sharp instrument, like a knife, where it can cut you, and you have to be careful. Treat it like it's a chainsaw. You know, there's a reason that people crank up chainsaws at haunted houses, scare the heck out of you, is they're very dangerous, but can be effective if you use them appropriately. We had an audience you know, member who sent us a picture of his chainsaw accident. Um, and that is the oddest thing I think I've ever received, and it was one of those things I don't deal with gore at all. I mean, if I was, I'd probably, you know, be Doctor Brian Preston. But you know, it just it, it's it blew my mind that people will, you know, will will share something like that. So you have to be careful. So this was like you, literally somebody like just
1: there. they're they're out, they're cut, they're using a the chisel, and, and it hits the leg or it hits something. Oh, and you got a photo of that. Yeah.
0: So, I, I, you know, it's, it's somewhere in our email archive. We have that photo. I'm sure the content team. I did a series on inflation in Venezuela and I had a CIA operative send me um, some worthless Venezuelan currency because they were stationed in Venezuela for some CIA operations, sent that to us. I mean, so we get some really cool active audience engagement. It just blows my mind that, that we we have people share that type of stuff with so us. So
1: from chainsaws to the CIA, uh, yeah, I would say that's some serious – that's that's fascinating. But it, again, when well, you've been doing it as long as you and I have, have done this, it is pretty cool, some of the things that we hear. But let now, me ask now you, you, you this. You probably – is... I have one more thing. I just
0: have to say it because yeah. I can to get it out of my head. I work with Mr. Bo Hansen is a, a good looking, you know, co-host with me. And I know you, you've been on a lot oh, of I things. love
1: Bo. I he love gets, Bo. Yeah.
0: But, but Bo gets stuff like I never get the, the, the good looking man stuff. Bo gets all those type of things. So I don't know if you have you probably have some funny stories to share, too, of um, how the audience members that get those crushes. And matter of fact, my mother-in-law might be in that category with you. But that's it. I didn't mean to to interrupt you, but I just, you know, I can't get get these things out of my head.
1: So glamorous doing financial radio and podcasting. Such a, so glamorous. I recently did a podcast on the millionaire next door because (laughs) I, it had been, it was one of these things I had almost internalized it and took it for granted because I read it so early in my investment career. It was, I was an intern. 1996, that book came out, Dr. Thomas Stanley, The Millionaire Next Door, and I read it literally in college, so totally clueless about anything in the world, knowing I was going to eventually go to the investment business, and then never revisited it, but I must have internalized it because, call it 12 or 13 years later, I ended up researching money and happiness, and now, I think it shaped a lot of the way I think about money, so... My book, yeah. you can retire sooner than you think, is totally, totally different from millionaire next door. But there's a lot of the same properties or ingredients or principles that cross over between. Hey, the person that gets to a million. So this was about, hey, how did you get to a million? And I approached the, my research with money about money and happiness. So what do the happy retirees do? What are their habits? Right. My new book yeah. is what the happiest retirees know: ten habits for a healthy, a joyful, and secure life. Those habits are just, to me, fascinating. What are the financial habits, the social habits, the family habits, the marital habits? I have a chapter about happy retirees and their marriage habits. So, you know, that to me is one of my favorite topics is relationship, money, and happiness. What is your take on money and happiness?
0: I wish I would tell everybody, especially if you're still in the workforce, but, you know, in the next five years, you're going to be transitioning to retirement I talk about the why constantly because I think a lot of people, I wish, you know, just like you, you, if you've ever heard of the marshmallow test, you know, this is something you wish you'd have your two or three year old, you know, see no, if good at I don't know this. Tell, grad... tell our
1: audience about this. I don't well, know the marshmallow test. There was a test. research
0: study that of, of like, they I can't remember if they were two year olds or three year olds, but they would put marshmallows and put a marshmallow in front of these young kids, these toddlers, and say, look, if you can wait a few minutes, we'll give you two. And then you know, and, and it was one of those things where they, they it was actually a good estimator of your ability for deferred gratification, because they followed. Now, now some people say this has been debunked, but I think it still shows the concept of deferred gratification. The kids that were good at a young age of waiting for the second marshmallow actually did better in life, and I think there's there's a lot of life lessons in deferred gratification. Financial, well, I think. Well, financially, well, and for retirees, I think the problem a lot of people have with happiness and wealth is that they get in their head. If I have a million dollars, if I have two million dollars, all my worries are going to go away, and they and they, they they just think that this is going to be some magical moment. And then they get there and they realize, wow, money's a lot darker. Meaning, it didn't bring me the fulfillment. I feel the same way. People who sell their business, you've probably experienced this too they're now worth $20 million. They wake up the next morning, they put their pants on the same way, they eat the same toast with jelly on it, and they go, I thought it would be different. So that's why I make sure I tell people, as being somebody who works with the wealthy, as building their own success in the background, I can tell you better go a lot deeper with your analysis of happiness and fulfillment than just the dollar sum. Because the dollar sum is going to feel very empty. So you better figure out what actually brings you the happiness. Is it the traveling is it creating memories is it the you know that part of it is it paying it forward with education is it so you have freedom for hobbies is it because if it's buying a bigger house buying a nicer car that whole hedonic treadmill factor where the human nature absorbs that into lifestyle so quickly you'll find it's empty so you better know what actually makes you happy because otherwise you'll just be a wealthy poor you know sad person and that's that's always my The biggest thing I'm trying to prep people for is to make sure that they transition into retirement well.
1: I love this. I'm going to start saying the hedonic hamster wheel is an empty, empty cause. I like that. Well, you know, I mean, because think about, I always am
0: amazed, especially young people. I know we were talking about retirees, but it happens to young people, too, as they come right out of college. They want to reward themselves for being good students. They'll trade in the paid for 12 year old Camry. That you know they bought or you know or worked to, to get in high school, and then they'll go buy the the BMW 3 Series with the $800 a month to $1,000 car payment that's financed for 72 months, and and then three months later they're like, crud, why did I get rid of the Camry? You know, because this car yeah. drives. It's not that different than the Camry that was paid for, and my you know my my insurance was only a few hundred bucks a month, you know, a year on.
1: You know, I always go back to the one thing that it sticks with me is there's a YouTube clip or video of you've probably seen this of Buffett talking to a high school class. Have you ever seen yeah, this?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I love in that this. HBO uh, um, documentary on it. He gives that talk. It's an accounting class that he's talking about the vehicles. Go ahead, go ahead. I think it's a great
1: share. Yeah, no, it's 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 just cool because he he makes and everything coming from Buffett sounds just a little better, right? He's, yeah, he's a little yeah, he's yeah. a little older, he's a little wiser, and he's a lot richer. Than, than anyone you're going to talk to because he's the, one of the richest people on the planet. But to hear him say it, he's like, look, I, you know, I, I'm, my life isn't really much different from your life. And he was talking to a bunch of 20-year-olds, right, or 18 to 22-year-olds. He said, look, I, we pretty much eat at the same place, pretty much drive the same car, pretty much live in the same house. He goes, well, literally, the only thing that's different between my lifestyle and your lifestyle is that I fly private, and you probably fly Southwest. Yeah. And... <laughs> It's a really good reminder that in America, in America, not every country in the world, the lifestyle of a 22-year-old who doesn't even have a job yet isn't that dramatically different. If you really look into it, then again, arguably a top 10 richest person in in America. It's amazing to me if you look at it in that context, and that's a great reminder. And I love your thought of the why. Because you're right, we've seen it over and over again. If there's no why, then it doesn't matter what what kind of money you have, right? And the way I describe that is something called core pursuits. So the core pursuit is the hobby on steroid that you need at least three of them, if not four of them. The happy retirees have 3.6 core pursuits. The unhappy have 1.9. But what is is something that you have seen help going to this concept of retire either maybe just a little early? What have you seen anything in particular that's helped people be able to retire early? Is it a certain type of windfall? Is it the recognition of, Hey, I'm going to keep doing something else financially part-time. Have you seen any mechanism that's really helped people quote, retire early or sooner? Yeah. We, we,
0: we actually have a number of, you know, classified as far. We actually, I have um, mm. in the forties. I mean, we actually have clients that have retired in their forties. What I, what I think, Retire Now, they'll be quick to tell you their days are filled with they've gotten outside of like biotech, technology, finance, because they usually come from because you have to have a very big shovel meaning you make a great income to, to leave at those type of ages. But they are very deliberate because they realize these are super smart, very analytical, you know, very thoughtful people. A lot of them have transitioned into that super hobby you were talking about where some of them are now creating content. They're they're, You know, they're sharing their passion, um, but they all have in common that they have tried to find the three things like you were talking about that keep them energized to wake up in the morning, because that's the part I will tell you as a as a as a person that when I was in my 20s, it, it, younger Brian Preston, when I was 16, I said, when I turn 25, I'm going to buy a Corvette. You know, okay. I didn't buy a Corvette when I was 25. I got to 25 and I was like, why would I want a Corvette right now? Because the insurance will be too high. I'll look like a 53-year-old man. I'm not buying a Corvette. The same thing when I was in my 20s. I was like, I'm going to retire when I'm 50 years of age. Well, I will be 50 years of age in the next few years. And I now know more than man in the moon want to retire because I think that that's what everybody needs to recognize. Your perspective will change as you progress, so I just w- want to challenge all people who are retiring, you need to, especially for my 40 and 50-somethings, what does the next five years look like? Because if you get there and you go, man, this is just not what I thought, because I do have quite a few clients that have also retired three times, meaning they retired when they were 50, but then they sat around for you know 18 months and they're like, this. I thought volunteering at the school would be that super hobby, that I'm not getting out of this what I thought. So they would end up, you know, transitioning back to the workforce. That I, I would tell people, you have to practice retirement before you do it. Just like you do ten thousand hours of work to become an expert at something, I think you need to practice for ten thousand hours at what you'll do in retirement, so that you don't leave it. In, you know, get there and go, oh my gosh, this is not anything like I anticipated.
1: You have multiple people that have really plenty of money, but just go. They went back working. They thought they would golf. They thought they would travel and it just wasn't enough. Is that, is well, that what you saying? Well, I have a,
0: a biotech friend slash client that has now had his first official year outside the workforce, and he's young. And um, and he says it's a lot different than he anticipated because you don't realize that there are some benefits you get from the socialization at work. Uh, you just need to make sure – and that doesn't mean that they should keep you working. It just means you need to account for them for that next phase. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't look at that. What do you, where do you get your fulfillment, your attaboys, and your connection with other humans if you require that? Um, you know, make sure that it's accounted for in the, in the plan.
1: You know, another thing in that group, and again, the, and I, I've got some families that have done this too, and if you're 48 and you're total financial freedom and you take off and you're totally done, the other thing, not only missing work, but you, you're you in a very lonely crowd too. Yeah. There are just not a lot of folks like that, right? If you're 48 and you live in Atlanta and you're yeah. pretty much good to go financially and you've got 10 million or 20 million or 50 million or 100 million and you really do not have to work and you can go do whatever you want at any time. I, what I've seen also in that group of folks is that they look around, and they're like, gosh, there's not, I, it's hard to relate. Like, I don't have anybody that's in the same exact spot as me right? That's another, and that's a, that's a tangential point of socialization is that it's a little lonely when you're that wealthy, that young, it's, it's different. Yeah. Maybe not in Silicon Valley, but in in Atlanta, in Nashville, it's a little lonely. Yeah.
0: There's Uh, there's no doubt that that comes into play.
1: So speaking of, so I know, listen, I know you love, and, and this is another reason why it's so fun to talk to you is that you love this topic, right? Financial education is something that you and I, just we just naturally have always kind of gravitated towards, probably since you're a little kid like me, yeah. just a, it's a fun topic. I love economics. I love investing. I love to be able to help people on the emotional side of this. Like, hey, what are we going to do? How do you get to retirement? Here's our investment strategy that you could really understand so you can stick with it. I'm a big believer in income investing. It's probably not yeah. dramatically different than than how Brian Preston invests, but there's a there's a, a layer of how we look at investing but what is your core? this can't be everything for you man you got to have like you didn't buy the corvette uh, i know you run the firm and you've got the money guy podcast and and all of the media that you do but what give me your we will leave with a brian preston core pursuit what are your oh, so, no, you I, called I, it a I, i'm, super I'm just like, like my that. clients it's well here's the thing and, and look
0: wes you, you and i live very similar lives what's funny I came to you for guidance at one of the FinCons. I asked you because I said I'm kind of a unique situation. I create content for the firm that's creating the business. I need your thoughts on this, and you were very you you were great. You actually helped me because that's where I spun a bound wealth out of what I was currently doing at the time. So I'm very deliberate. And here's what I, I don't mind sharing: that I don't work for money anymore, and I think you're probably in the same boat. What I enjoy is we hire you know, seven to 10 people a year. Um, I love watching my employees have children, get married, buy cars, you know, buy houses, kind of reach it. I know that sounds really hokey, but there is something so just fun, watching something that you've created, impact, you know, dozens, you know, of people, because it, it just, I envision this thing continuing to grow, continuing to create fulfillment for not only my clients, of the firm, but also all of my employees. And I'm just tickled pink of watching the legacy being built of, of these advisors. And I, that's why I, don't, I, I, like I said, I have now quickly approached 50. I don't think, I think I'm going to, I don't want to say it doesn't sound, it sounds morbid when I say I'm going to die working, but it's, um, <laughs> cause I get this visual of a skeleton, you know, holding up the financial order of operations or something, but it is one of those things where I think that, um, I am enjoying, as long as I'm having this much fun, I just can't see myself pulling pulling away from this. And I think that's something, I want everybody to build what their why is or what they're working toward. Know what that destination is. Um, and I think a lot of people don't do that. And that's why I like your book will help with that is people need to go through the list to make sure they, they've actually done the homework to master what the next phase of their life. Because it's hard to be a, a, a saver or a builder of wealth when so many of your peers are consumers and then think when you transition to consumer, you're just not going to have some, some weird aches and pains from, from that transition.
1: Yeah. So building of this, really it's, it's the families that you serve, not only the, from your, your clients, but also the family of your team at Abound Wealth. That to you is a huge piece of the equation, which I totally get. I mean, I remember when we, in the early days of CIA, when I first partnered with who my partner today, who's now retired, uh, the we, I think there were like three ki- three little kids. Like, I had one kid, it was, it was Ben, yeah. I think, it was like one, and now I've got four kids, but the firm, I think, had three, and now we have 30. So, we've gone from yeah. three little kids to like 30 some little kids. I think it's like 35. In fact, in the studio here, Elizabeth with us, she's about to have twins in, in the next couple yeah. of weeks. So, we, th- th- and by the way, that's getting exponential as well. So, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, so we're going to see each other this year, if not in, in Nashville or Franklin, but in, I think FinCon has to be, it's in, it's in Austin this year, isn't it? It's in, a, it's going? in Austin. Tell I, me don't, you're going. I
0: don't want to declare we're going because that's what the content team we've been throwing back and forth. I want to go. I want to tell you if it was up to Brian, we're all going, but there's more logistics as we've grown. Cause we're just like you guys. We have producers, we have Bo and you know, and of course I've got the schedule. So we we're 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 greater than average, but I can't say for sure we're going. And I don't, I don't so I can't get you to pull that out of me yet.
1: But you're gonna say I'm saying a 75 percent chance that you guys will be at. FinCon I will it because I love I love FinCon.
0: I, I will tell you, but I know Reby also wants us to go to.
1: There's a YouTube conference,
0: um, Vid Summit, Vid Summit. Um, so you know, we, we have to. You know, it's all these people. It gets expensive to, to to logistically. You get that. Don't don't turn me into. I don't, two, don't, I don't want everybody to know how much of a tightwad I am. But it's um, <laughs> you have to figure all this out.
1: But Brian, just think of how much travel you guys have saved as a business over the past year, because of, of, you probably have. All right, our our travel budget went from a lot to a little, and now it's climbing back to kind of a middle. It kind of. I, hopefully, I, I don't know if it'll ever be as per capita, as expensive as it was yeah. in two, 2018, 2019. And we all learned that we don't have to fly every single place on the planet in order to do business. So, uh, but listen, just a pleasure. I love so glad that we were able to connect and that you would come onto the podcast. It's an honor for me to have you, uh, because, uh, again, listen, we've got to see our peers take leaps and bounds to help us understand what we should be doing. And you've done that for, for me and you kind of got me going in this uh, a long time ago. So I appreciate your guidance as well.
0: Well, it's mutual, Wes. I mean, being an Atlanta guy that now lives in, in Franklin, Tennessee, you know, in Nashville, it was, I can still remember at that FinCon that we met, it was kind of one of those cool things where worlds were colliding, being an Atlanta native, seeing somebody who's so prominent in that that field. And then Kind of I felt like I was your tour guide that first year of kind of showing what's the the digital thing because you, you were such a big brand in uh, in what I was trying to emulate because that's what all of the the guys who because every big firm historically did this through radio and through you know TV affiliations and things like that and it was kind of a new endeavor to go to the digital side so I love to, to actually meet somebody who had done it and now you've married that transition where you're still doing both, but you, you've kind of made that transition really well.
1: Well, cool, man. Yeah. Well, thank you. And, uh, I'm going to hold you to Austin. Hopefully I'll see you. And, uh, listen, just thank you for, for doing this today. And I wish you continued success, my friend. You too, Wes. Thanks so much. And come see me
0: in Nashville. I'd love to give you a studio tour up here.
1: If you love the Retire Sooner podcast, we would love to hear your feedback. You can find our team at WesMoss.com. And we'd love to hear your reviews on or read your reviews on your favorite podcast app. Thanks so much for listening.
0: information.